0: It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 170 for November 29th, 2009. Recorded November 27th, 2009. That's right. I recorded this one the day after Thanksgiving, and I hope you had a pleasant Thanksgiving. Icons in the taskbar have always been helpful in providing visual cues to let users know what programs are running, and they're even more important in Windows 7 because of the ability to pin applications to the taskbar. Unlike in previous versions of Windows, there is no quick launch area, but pinning an icon has a lot of advantages. And those advantages go well beyond providing a one-click option for starting an application. Because the icon is pinned to the taskbar, it stays in one location. And better still, if you right-click the icon instead of left-clicking it, you get a jump list, a list of the most recent files you've opened with a particular application. That makes getting to any recently used file really easy. But sometimes two applications can have distressingly similar icons. You might sometimes wish you could change them. The good news is you can. You'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week an example of what my taskbar used to look like. Because I want to have quick access to a lot of applications, and because the tray or the notification area is always full... And because I like to have the day and date visible in the tray, I use a double-decker taskbar. You'll see that. That's not the Windows 7 default. The Windows 7 default is the same as Windows. has always been a single line at the bottom. And you'll see that the taskbar contains three very similar icons. One starts Apple's Safari browser. Another starts the TimeSlips time-billing application. And yet a third starts the Windows Resource Manager They're all easy to just snag the wrong one by accident. The process I'll be describing for changing the icons is for Windows 7, but it will work for earlier versions of the operating system, and the file names that I'll mention are the same. Some of the steps will vary slightly in appearance, and the earlier versions of Windows won't ask you to confirm some of the steps. But generally, if you understand the process, you'll be able to find a way to do it in the earlier versions of Windows. Before you can change the icon, you need to know where to find a new icon. Unfortunately, that's easy. Your computer already has dozens of them just tucked away in files waiting for you. Most program files, the ones ending in .exe, and most library files, the ones ending in .dll, contain icons, and Windows includes several special files that are just packed with them. Depending on your version of Windows, files with icon collections will include cool.dll, moreicons.dll, and shell32.dll. You'll find these files on the boot drive. That's probably going to be drive C. And in the Windows directory, in the Windows system directory, or the Windows system32 directory. If you've got a recent version of Windows, XP or above, take a look at Windows system32. It's important to note that in Windows 7, users cannot simply right-click an icon that's already been pinned to the taskbar and change the icon there. I tried that. Seemed easy enough. Perhaps a little bit too easy. There was no option to change the icon. Instead, you need to find the application in the Start menu, right-click it, and then choose Properties. The Properties dialog has a lot more tabs than you're used to seeing in previous versions of Windows, and the dialog that you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website also has a Carbonite tab. You'll see this on your computer only if you're a Carbonite user. You want to look for the Shortcut tab, and on that tab you'll find a Change Icon button. That's been the same on Windows going back a long, long time. When you click the Change Icon tab, a dialog will display with one or more icons that are contained in the program file. In the example, you'll see on the site there's just one, but your application might include a lot, and you might find one you like right there. If so, it's as simple as selecting that icon and saying OK, but let's assume you won't find something there. In that case, you need to click the Browse button. That will open an Explorer window, and you can browse to, oh, say, for example, c backslash windows backslash system 32 and in that directory you're going to find more icons which is spelled m-o-r-i-c-o-n-s dot d-l-l double click the file to open it to see all of the available icons now be prepared this is an antique file it dates back to i think windows 3.1 maybe even before that but i knew that it contained a large red icon with a dollar sign That seemed like a really good choice for a time-billing application, so I selected that one and clicked OK. Vista and Windows 7 users will probably need to approve the operation. If you have an earlier version of Windows, you won't. Click Continue, then click OK to close the Properties box. You might now expect the icon to have simply changed on the taskbar. Ah, if it were only so simple. That expectation would be dashed on the rocky shores of the Redmond Coast. To change the icon on the taskbar, you first need to remove the icon from the taskbar, and then pin it back to the taskbar. So, right-click the icon on the taskbar, choose Unpin This Program from the taskbar. Now it's gone. Then you can return to the Start menu, right-click the icon there, and choose Pin to the taskbar. For reasons known only in Redmond, you'll find that taskbar is sometimes capitalized and sometimes not. And it's now one word instead of what it was previously, which is two words. In any event, the icon will appear in the last available position on the taskbar. Once it's there, you can click it and drag it wherever you want and reposition it. And the neat thing about Windows 7 is it's going to stay where you put it. When I go back and use a Windows XP machine, I always find myself scanning all over the place looking for the right icon. On a Windows 7 machine, the icon is always where I left it. That's a little feature, but it's nice. When it came time to change the icon for Safari, which is Apple's browser, the process turned out to be a little more challenging. Challenging, I found, is a word that is often applied to Apple software on Windows computers. The change icon button was grayed out. I couldn't click it. Now, what I'm going to describe here actually turned out to be unnecessary, but I didn't discover that until later. The action was unavailable because Apple marks the Safari directory as read-only. I could have simply gone into the Windows Explorer and changed that, and then I would have been able to change the icon in the normal way. But I've decided to keep the description of this process because it illustrates another way that you can change the icon. I navigated to the Safari program directory, right-clicked the program file, dragged it to the desktop, and created a link there. Because I had created this link, I would be able to edit its properties. The next several steps were the same as before, right-clicking the icon, selecting Properties, selecting Change Icon, and then going off in search of a file with icons. This time, I selected the file Shell32DLL, a somewhat more modern file. I found a tree in there. Why a tree? On a Safari, one would expect to see trees, wouldn't one? So that's what I selected. All right, that's really not a very good choice, but I won't be keeping it on the taskbar for very long because the Windows version of Safari just isn't very good. Safari does, however, perform very well on a Mac. Next, I unpinned Safari from the taskbar, deleted the Safari link from the start menu, and to complete the process, I dragged the new shortcut from the desktop to the start menu and dropped it there. That moved the file from the desktop to the start menu's directory structure. And finally, I pinned The new Safari shortcut to the taskbar. So now my taskbar has distinct visual cues for three applications that were previously all too similar. If the built-in icons are insufficient for you, or if you just would like some unique icons, a Google search will turn up applications that allow you to make your own. You'll also find collections of icons, some are free, some are not, Two of my favorite sources of free icons are the Icon Archive and Minty White. And as you might expect, you'll find links to those from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Whether you use Google or Bing or Yahoo or any other kind of search engine, some search results lead to toxic sites. In the week before the latest Twilight movie opened, searches sometimes turned up links to rogue sites, sites that make every effort to take over your computer. This threat is aimed at the fans of the new movie, The Twilight Saga, New Moon. But the same kind of fraud can be perpetrated on a fan of anything else. So this is important even if you've never heard of The Twilight Saga, New Moon. PC Tools sent out a warning that explained the problem. When users searched for Stephanie Meyer, they would encounter a search result that read Stephanie Meyer at 365 Multimedia.com. But instead of seeing a legitimate interview with the author, fans would be told that their computer was infected with malware, and then they'd be tricked into giving their credit card information to download a fake anti-malware application. Then PC Tools discovered another online Twilight scam. This one promised viewers that they could watch the New Moon movie for free before it appeared in theaters. Lots of danger signals there. Instead, it infected their computers. Fans are simply baited with the text on websites, chat rooms, and blogs that say, watch New Moon full movie. Concurrently, comment posts are filled with related keywords to attract more search engines. Search results for the movie then link users to stolen images from the movie itself. This convinces fans that the movie is only a click away. When they click on the movie player, they're told that they have to install a stream viewer. And guess what? The stream viewer installs malware on the user's computer. These kinds of threats are increasingly common, and it's important to be aware that they're there. Be aware that simply clicking an enticing link can have some very serious consequences. In particular, if you're encouraged to click a link to view a movie that's not yet in theaters, or to download some stolen software, beware. Wow, even the U.S. Postal Service has spam these days. I received a postcard from the Express Package Delivery of Tyler, Texas. The company paid to print a card and then paid $0.28 cents postage to send it to me, but it was obviously a fraud. Pickup notice, the card said, and sorry we missed you. Yeah, right, like I'm supposed to believe that a delivery or pickup service missed me, they sent a driver, driver came to the door, missed me, and then they sent me a postcard? Yeah. All right, they tell me they want to pick up a package. Well, I don't have any packages waiting to go anywhere. And they say I should call to schedule a pickup, but only between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. The real package delivery services are there 24-7. Try performing a Google search using the terms express package delivery and Tyler, Texas. You'll see what the scam is. It seems they want to offer me a free vacation. An online service named Who Calls Me offers some additional information on the phone number, and you'll find a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide website. So if you'd like my free vacation, feel free to call 888-4PAKDEL or 903-839-1500 and use my package number. It's 1107-5590-1160. Are there really people so dumb that they fall for something so transparently? Bogus? Noticed a slight variation on an old Trojan theme this past week. As with most Trojan horse attacks, this one attempted to convince me to open an email attachment and run it. But instead of offering me a movie file or music, this one claimed to be from a financial clearinghouse. It was confirming my payment, $3,654.38, to a company I'd never heard of. If I wanted to decline the charge, it said, I should open the attached file and run it. Well, for starters, no clearinghouse would ever do business like that. So it was clearly an attack of some sort. But there were lots of other clues, too. For one thing, there were four messages in my mailbox, and they had all been quarantined. I have a special mailbox that has no anti-spam measures in front of it, none at all. As a result, all messages get through to this box... And about 95% of the messages that arrive at that box are spam or worse. Four quarantined messages received over a four-day period, each claiming a payment for a different company. Suspicious, perhaps? One indicated a charge of $54.22 for Ashland, Inc. That's a relatively small amount compared to some of the others. Are people more likely to think about contesting small amounts because they think the charge might be real? Or are they more likely to respond to an amount that's really large and frightening, like $9,219.52 for a company they've never heard of, Zapata? What is Zapata? Well, I took a look. Zapata Incorporated seems to be a full-service environmental facilities, infrastructure, and military munitions response firm. Whatever the heck that is. And there was one for $28.87 from Biomet. Finally, that one I mentioned before, $3,654.38 being processed for Precision Cast Parts Corporation. Each of the messages has the same hook. If this is your charge, ignore the message. But if you want to contest the charge, you must open and run the file in the attached zip. If you have an up-to-date antivirus application in place, just trying to save or open the file will generate an alarm. And without jumping through several hoops, you will be protected from the bad stuff inside. But you can't count on this. Even the best antivirus program will sometimes miss something. My plan had been to save the file. I was then going to examine it first in a text editor. I wanted to confirm that it was really a zip file. Then I would have moved the file either to a Mac or a Linux machine for further investigation, but my antivirus program stopped me and I didn't feel like jumping through all the hoops that would be required to free it from the clutches of the antivirus program. So the proper response to a challenge such as this is the judicious use of the delete key. Problem solved. In short circuits, would you like a little technology shopping help? If you're looking for just the right digital point-and-shoot camera or the just right digital SLR or maybe a high-definition TV or a netbook computer, any of those four things, if you're looking for any of them, there's a new website that might have the answer for you. Mezy.com. there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, will ask you a lot of questions. For a digital SLR, it'll want to know how much you'd like to spend, how you'll use the camera, what kinds of photographs are important to you, whether you print the photographs, whether you want the camera to come with a lens, and a lot more. Yeah, you can buy a camera without a lens. The lens that comes with most SLR cameras is called a kit lens. It's an average lens, but nothing to brag about. So some people, particularly professionals, buy the camera without the lens and buy their own lens, which probably costs more than the camera. I took the quiz. The result wasn't for the brand of camera that I typically use, but I had lowballed the price, and if I didn't have cameras and lenses from another manufacturer, and if I was in the market for a camera, the answer would have exactly fit the responses I gave. When the site displays results, it explains why it ranked results in the order it did. Although I'm not in the market for a netbook computer, I tried the quiz, and the results there were very good, right on the money. So how does Meezy make its money? Speaking of money, well, it provides links to retailers who sell the articles you're looking for. The site probably will expand over time, but the developers have selected the four most popular technology items, ones that will entice visitors for this year. And the good thing is they seem to have done their homework, so the results are appropriate. Remember when AOL was so powerful that its merger with Time, Inc. was essentially an acquisition of Time, Inc.? Since then, things have changed. A lot. Most former AOL users have concluded that there are better ways to connect to the Internet, which is why they're former AOL users. And now Time Warner says that it plans to spin off AOL on December 9th. AOL says it will then drop about one-third of its workforce. The company currently employs just under 7,000 people and will offer additional severance pay and benefits to those who leave by the end of the year. The company warns, though, that if not enough people accept the offer, there will be layoffs. AOL's revenues have dropped 20% in the previous year, mainly because advertising revenues fell sharply. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.